On this week's How To Be 60 podcast, we have teenage rebel Toya Wilcox, and safe to say, age has not withered her. I've always been very honest about my age, and as soon as I hit 60, I just put two fingers up to the world. And I'm wondering how to be 60. It's scaring the shit out of me. time of the week to learn how to be 60 with me Kay Adams and her Karen McKenzie uh, hello one and all McKenzie and I are back from our holly bags taken separately I have to say nobody think there's a story in this there isn't uh, we are both sun-kissed in Karen's case mosquito ridden my goodness I'm not they like it and and you've got yourself a fringe Karen I have got myself a fringe and do you know what I actually went to the hairdressers bearing in mind what your friend and our friend of the program of the podcast said Jane Moore. So I took a picture. I sat. I went into the hairdressers and said I would like a fringe, and she said, "Oh, we talked about this the last time." And I said, "Yes, we did, but we didn't do anything about it, did we?" So I said, "You know what? I like this woman, Jane Moore's fringe," and I got a picture up of Jane, and I flicked through a few, and I said, "This is what I want," and she went, "Okay, let's do it," and I've got myself a fringe. I've got a oh, Jane Moore, a JM fringe. You've got, well, number one, I really like it. It looks really good. And you know, it's difficult for me to be nice to you. It's, but, you know, no, no, exactly. I'm just waiting for good. the bite. No, there's no bite. And you've got a new assertiveness then, a Jane Moore assertiveness. I have actually. So be wearky. Oh, right. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, now, listen, I was checking out your Instagram from you being on holiday. Yeah. And you're always accusing me of being a. S- s- Do you think so? Well, checking me you're out. You're always. You're always boasting about your new followers. Oh, I've got a new follower. Oh, I've got a new follower. You love it. Don't you kid me on. Um, and you're always accusing me of being on social media too much. You were on social media much more than me on holiday. And I saw you wrestling a large inflatable. You were in your bikini. I was in bikini. I don't know what you were doing with that inflatable, but it looked quite inappropriate, I have to say. You were wrestling it like a 15-year-old. It was a big sort of... I don't know if it's full of polyester balls or what, but it was this big inflatable on this gorgeous infinity pool that I was trying to get up on top of to sit on to look glamorous. And oh my God, my legs were everywhere, my arms. You didn't see the rest of the photographs and you certainly didn't see the video that went with it. Oh my God, it was hellish. I did it and then... Pass me my drink, pass me my drink, so I can look, try and look glam. Get my photo, get my um, sunglasses on and my hat. Anyway, I did it in the end. And then I I'll tell you what, the way you wrapped your legs around that inflatable, I thought, lucky Stephen, he's having a good holiday. <laughs> Stephen was nowhere to be seen. <laughs> oh, really? What a shame. I also spotted a tattoo. Oh, God, yeah, that's been there for donkeys. Yeah, I think I got that when I was about... Well, 30 years ago, anyway. Yeah, little ladybird, but it's so faded now, you can hardly make out. It's just like a little blip there. But uh, What was that for? Why did you get that? I don't know. My friend Cindy Gray, who I used to work with, um, she fancied getting uh, her a tattoo and her, you know, that, that really uncomfortable bit of your ear, not your earlobe, but the very top bit um, yeah, yeah, pierced, yeah. that bit that is so unnatural to get pierced. And I said, no, I'll come with you, I'll come with you. So we did both of it together. We got a tattoo and then we got this. Oh, and I've still got a lump in my ear at the top of the sinew bit there. Oh, it's gross. Anyway, I don't know. I'm just such a, I've got a lack of um, whatever it is, but I'll come and I'll get it done as well. 
I mean, I don't regret it, but nobody sees it, apart from you when you're stalking me on my Instagram. Or I know. Whatever. It's funny though, isn't it? Because with tattoos, like, you know, when you're talking to younger people about tattoos, you say, oh, don't get a tattoo because it looks nice now when you've got young, fresh skin. Oh, but when you're 60, it's going to look absolutely hellish. Um, so, do you look at your tattoo now and think, oh my God, why did I do that? No, I can't even see it. And also it's so tiny that... You can't, it's not going to wrinkle where it is either. I mean, you wouldn't get one on your tummy, would you? Or you wouldn't get one on your thigh. That would be wrinkly. Ooh, that would be awful. But no. <laughs> My kids have got loads of tattoos as well, and I just don't see anything anymore. Oh, have they? Yeah, they've both got. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, I know. And they're all sort of individual ones that they've designed themselves, and they're there. And But you know what? Um, I, I know better than to see anything. It's their bodies, their lives. Absolutely. I, I have to say on my holiday, I was really inspired by Aggie, your sister Aggie, oh, right. because I went to I went to three yoga classes. Seriously? And yeah, they where were did do- your legs end up? Oh, my God. I'm like a bloody Around your partner's neck? Oh, my Jesus Christ. No, I have watched that video of Aggie splitting her legs like that That's about so 300 funny. times. Oof. I mean, I just think. Oh my God, how can you do that? And she did inspire me to go to to yoga on the beach, which I really enjoyed actually. And I can see how it makes her feel sexy because you're just so aware of your body. Do you know when you're exercising usually and you're crashing about, you're running or you're jumping or whatever, it's just like, well, actually that sounds a bit like Aggie, doesn't it? But you know what I mean? Um, Whereas when it's yoga, it's slow and you really think about your body. And I can see how it makes her more sensual. Did you feel sexy, Kay? No, I was permanently scared that I would fart. I think Um, that's part of yoga, isn't it? Is it? I don't know. I was permanently scared about that. And then the bit at the end, which I love, I can't remember what they call it, you know, that you just lie there and you relax. Um, And she came up and she put a bit of lavender behind my ear, which was lovely. Um, and I'm always scared that I fall asleep and I wake up two hours later and everyone's left the class. And, and burned. I'm snoring. There's a spot <laughs> there. <laughs> There's a lobster on the beach. And um, now listen, we've got Toya Wilcox with us today. I know. Mistress of reinvention. She has done so many things: acting, presenting, singing, writing. She she really is an all-round dynamo. I think Toya is 64-ish. Um, now she won't know this, but I'm she, sure she is does the first. Know. No, no, she won't know this, that she is the first celebrity that I ever interviewed. And I actually um, went back and thought, when was that? It was 38 years ago. Oh, my God. I was working for Central Television in Birmingham and the interview, I like, my memory is so bad, but I remember this so vividly. I even remember what I was wearing. Isn't it funny how you forget so much as you get older, but you remember just tiny little scenes from your life. That sounds like you're um, a wee bit nervous about interviewing I was so nervous I was so nervous so nervous um so it was in the Holiday Inn in Central in Birmingham which I think has gone now I worked for Central Television it was in the swimming pool area I don't know why I presented a children's news program called Newsround which was well I didn't I was a reporter it was actually presented by an Irish wolfhound kind of shows you where he was um and I was so straight-laced and so desperate to do well and Toya was this incredible, glamorous, 
punk, you know, um, I want to be free, it's a mystery, all these songs yes. were out. Yes. And I was bricking myself. And I remember sitting there just feeling so Scottish and straight-laced and prim, oh, uh, you know, opposite this, this exotic, young. exotic creature. Um, I could still get that feeling back. And I can you know, remember what Toya looked like then, with the fringe as well, yeah. and ponytail. Oh, ponytail! Her hair, her hair was lovely and blonde, and just yeah, just kind of like quirky and. and... I know, I know. So I'm, um, I'm excited to speak to her again. And um, just before we get onto that, though, I have to say you're always saying that I'm nuts because I lie about my age and I'm worried about being sixty, etc. I'm not nuts because actually, um, it's really funny. I've had like a lot of press interviews over the last couple of weeks. And this morning, I actually did an interview. They're just sort of saying, you know, there are so many women, rightly or wrongly, and it's obviously wrongly, who are awkward about their age, who don't like to confess, particularly to 60. Now, I know you don't have that and you can't understand it, but I don't think it is as weird as you think it is. And it's amazing once a conversation starts, how many people say, well, actually, I don't really like talking about my age particularly either. Or, you know, my mum never mentioned her age. I'm really surprised. And it's quite good for me because obviously I think I'm a weirdo because mm-hmm. I'm so uptight about it. Mm-hmm. But I think there's lots of weirdos out there is what I'm saying. Right. You can't I don't think it's just of... me. Right. Okay, well, uh, maybe I'm, yeah, we'll see. I yeah, mean, I'm, I'm listening right. to okay, what you're, you're saying, convinced. but I'm not, yeah, not agreeing. You're not, you. well, God, it's funny you say that. I'm sitting right now in Denise Welsh's um, uh, dressing room. One of my colleagues right. on this women. Her from in, yeah, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Natalie. Uh, she came in and she said, uh, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, oh, I'm doing this podcast. What's it about? I said, oh, it's just basically me lying about my age. Um, and she says, oh, why do you lie about your age? I said, oh, I, I don't know. But anyway, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm being honest about my age. You know, I'm, I'm 60 at the end of the year. Um, and, you know, it feels like quite a big, brave move for me to say that out loud. And it does. Um, and she says, you're not brave. You're a big, fat liar. You're just a big, fat liar. Well, A, you're not fat, but you're a liar. <laughs> right, do you want some emails before we speak to Toya? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Tracy Madge has been back in touch. Tracy Madge, my favourite uh, name in the world. Says, morning, ladies. Tracy Madge is just back from Canada. She's on episode 10. Um, she says, I'm not sure if you've covered this in the latest episode, but my husband is asking me what I want to do to mark my 60th. Such a dilemma. Party, family, friends, neighbours, or some, all of them at home, a venue, how big a do, or a posh family meal, or do I hide under the duvet for a day? That's what I would do, Tracy, if I were you. Um, also, not sure how many more times I can get away with getting hammered and looking like an old soak. <laughs> I went to an Abba tribute at Subtle Minister. Um, and I had far too much Prosecco. I kept dragging old folk up to dance like no one is watching. And I could have caused half of them to have a stroke. Um, and she says, you'll smash Edinburgh, by the way. I wish you could come there, but it's the week before the tattoo. Edinburgh Fringe people, remember, we're there, Karen and I, the 23rd and the 24th of August. If you would like to join us, please do. So what should Tracy Madge do for her 60th? Do what she wants, not what anyone else wants. Uh, I would go for, don't know whether it's kind of like a small intimate do and just go big on it or splash out and have a big party. Just don't get rat arsed. I would definitely get rat arsed. Um, you wouldn't have a party though. No, I'm not going to have a party. I'm deaf. Well, actually the jury's out. 
Oh, the really? Oh, that's changed. Yeah. Right? God, yeah. I hope I get an invite. Do I get an invite? Is your new... Well, we'll wait and see. Not we'll wait friend. and see. Not friend. Yeah. So keep getting in touch with these emails, podcast at htb60.com. Suggestions for Tracy Madge's 60th, please. What should she do? <laughs> what did you do for your 60th? Um, and also... Anyone out there starting a new venture, a new chapter? Because I've also got an email from Deborah Murphy. Um, and I like this one. She says, I'd like you to know that at the grand old age of 60, I will be starting a new full-time career. It's never too late. This was a job that she's always wanted, her ideal job. And she is starting afresh at the age of 60. What is so it? I'm looking forward to uh, She hasn't told us. Oh, come Deborah, on. Deborah, get back in touch. Tell I us what it is you're doing. Can't. That's like drip feeding. Yay, please get back in touch and let us know. God, that's Maybe she's going to be it? a burlesque dancer. Yeah, would you fancy that, Kay? No. Um, right, listen, let's speak to Toya. Toya Wilcox, long time no see. It's been 38 years. How are you? It's been, yeah, very good 38 years. I'm very good, thank you. And the Holiday Inn in Birmingham is still standing. Is it? I do remember this interview. Don't. I I do, because this is going to sound really stupid, but at the beginning of my career, I didn't meet many people from Scotland unless I was playing there. So I remember Gloria Hunniford um, interviewing me in Dublin or Belfast. Actually, it might have been Belfast. And I was thinking, gosh, that's a lovely accent. But I was so rarely in Scotland unless I was on tour and I played there and then fans talked to you at the stage door. So for you to interview interviewed me was very very memorable how weird I I just thought I would be so utterly forgettable because I was so nervous and and, I mean it's it's interesting now isn't it because I think you're just a couple of years older than me I'm 64 you're 64 okay four years older than me but sitting there as young women in our early 20s because you were just you're a pop star you know and I felt so sort of straight and fresh out of uni that there was like a hundred not years between us but there was a gulf between us do you understand what I mean oh yeah I I mean back then even a two-year gap between someone was considered another generation and I just don't think that kind of those time gaps matter anymore I think if we've got something in common I think most people are living the life rather than living the age Oh, now what does that mean to you? Because my God, you're living the life at the moment, Toya. I have been binging on your Sunday lunch uh, YouTube videos, which I recommend. (laughs) What? Oh my God, Karen and I, two wee Scottish women, are sitting there with our chins on the bloody table, Toya. Presbyterian Uh, Scottish women. Firstly, I am doing this with my husband and no one seems to realise that this is a husband and wife. Firstly, doing what we do for each other. And and secondly, but just as importantly, we're doing it to make people laugh. And yeah, it's outrageous. But what I have to flag up, because the headlines every week is Robert's wearing this, Toya's wearing practically nothing. I started my career when I was 18 and 
every audition I went to, while I was 18 into my 20s, I was asked if I would do nude scenes. So as an actress, nudity means very, very little to me. It was part of my my kind of rite of passage into the world of acting. I never relished it. I never enjoyed it, but it, it started to mean nothing to me. And when we hit lockdown and Robert and I started to do our Sunday lunches and slowly less and less clothes were being worn um, as I ran out of wardrobe, uh, it's... We've we just we've hit a world market collectively. We've had a hundred and eleven million views, and oh it, it's extraordinary. Oh it's uh, I'm now in the top thirty of YouTube influencers. So, well, you describe them, Toya. You tell. I mean, for those people who haven't seen them, you describe it, and and then we'll talk a bit more about it. But I want you to describe it rather than me. Okay. Robert Fripp in the world's top 40 of guitar players. He's one of the greatest guitar players in the world. We've been married for 36 years. I'm a singer, an actress, and a writer. And in lockdown, we started to post videos um, every Sunday lunch of either me teaching him to dance because he cannot dance to save his life. And then slowly we evolved into covering rock songs. And we started to cover very famous rock songs. Last Sunday's went viral. Last Sunday, we covered a band called Slipknot because we were so amused by how Slipknot do what they do. They all wear masks. None of them show their face. So I put Robert in a Slipknot mask. I am admittedly wearing virtually nothing but just enough to cover some modesty. And it just went viral. And I think it went viral because my husband is 76 and I'm 64. And what we're doing, and the way I see it, is we're saying we've been rock and rollers all our life. Age is just a number. I want to talk about that because obviously there's a lot of deep philosophical um, sort of lines that I could pursue in that. But first of all, I have to say, Toy, your breasts are magnificent. <laughs> My God, they're like the eighth and ninth wonders of the world. <laughs> well, they do have a time limit. Robert says to me quite often, how, how long can we keep this up for? And I'm saying, well, as long as my boobs hold out, um, I... I, I think we're giving it another two years and we're touring this next year. We're doing Toy and Robert's Sunday Lunch, the oh tour. Uh, and then we have to think about how we're going to develop it if we keep working, because I really am not confident when I hit 70 that I want to do this. Oh, my God. Oh my God. I mean, have you always had great tips? <laughs> um, I, I had a cancer scare about... 10 years ago, and I had reconstructive surgery. And um, my, my surgeon was just absolutely brilliant. He gave me the best boobs ever. And they're natural, that they, I don't have implants or anything. So he, he just had to remove a lump, and then he had to make my boobs even, and he just did the best job in the world. And it's another reason why I really feel that women should be free to show their bodies, because we go through remarkable things biologically as women, and we survive so much on physical and psychological levels that I just really think that we should be proud of who and what we are, no matter what age or what shape we are. Mm. 
Did your age at all, I mean, you were saying, do you want to do this at 70 or whatever, and Robert's 76. Did your age come, you know, figure in your thinking at all? Did you at any point think, oh, should I be doing this at 64? No, not, not at all. No, right. I've always been very honest about my age. And as soon as I hit 60, I just put two fingers up to the world. Because I think if you are being oppressed because of your age, that is almost passive aggression towards you as an individual. I think if people lie about their age to you, again, it's another form of passive aggression. So I just shout right back at people what my age is. And I just stand my ground. I I can remember having a meeting with a a PR person, a male PR person about eight years ago. And as soon as the meeting started, he said, how are you, old woman? And I said, I'm not an old woman and you've not got the job. Oh my God. I will not be treated as if I'm inferior because I've survived 64 years. And the thing is, we have all taken absolutely remarkable journeys that enrich everybody's lives. If you've had children, I haven't, but you've enriched the lives of those children. You've enriched the lives of your viewers and your listeners. We should be immensely proud. We have so much to offer and we should never, ever be invisible. Mm. I mean, you know, to be honest, you, you, you are really forcing me to examine myself and, and doing this podcast has, uh, has made me do that because I have bought into the lie. I have lied about my age, which is why I started this this podcast. Um, and I won't bore you again with the story. You know, as, as everything, it starts with a joke and then it just becomes something. Um, and I always said, well, it's up to me. I can say whatever I like, blah, 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 blah. But as time has gone on, and now that I am at this stage, I'm thinking, actually, I do have responsibility to be honest about my age. Because what am I doing by lying? And I agree with you. And I put my hands up and I say guilty. I am buying into um, that negative uh, connotation that is attached to an older woman. And, and I'm supporting it and I'm complicit. And it shouldn't be negative. This is a cultural thing. And I think part of it is the power play of bullies. But when you move further and further east around this hemisphere, where age is celebrated, where the older woman, the grandmother, the matriarch is really celebrated, celebrated for her strength and her wisdom. And I can understand why you felt you had to lie about your age, because in TV, it's, it's something that happens to women. But I think these days, because of YouTube, because of Instagram, because of Twitter, because of all those platforms, we can now be far more honest and far more empowered in truly singing about our individuality. I don't have to jump through loops for anyone anymore. I'm a hard worker, but I'm really out there thanks to YouTube. And I just feel I'm not jumping through hoops anymore. And I really want to take this journey into whatever we call old age or mature age and just flag up some things that really celebrate how amazing it is every year that we have, that it's, it is a gift. It's an absolute gift. And I just want to flag that up. We can't keep kind of installing fear in people about their future. 
it, mm. it doesn't have to be there. And I, this is, it's a complex thing and you're right, it can get philosophical. But I always say to people I meet who are in their 20s, save 10% of what you earn. And then why do I, why should I do that? Save 10% of what you earn. That is your power. When you hit 40, when you hit 50 and you start to hit barriers against your age, you will have enough money as a bedrock to keep you independent and you will never have to borrow from the bank. So I tell people that you start young to build your future and build a confident middle and old age. How does Robert feel about it? Because you say, you know, one of the world's finest guitarists, a rock and roller all the time. How does he feel about being a 76-year-old rock and roller? Well, the, I, I will be honest with you. Neither of us see ourselves as these age groups. We are still how we very much were in our 20s. And, and Robert only recently said to me, oh, I've just looked in the mirror and I've seen a very old man. And I said, but you're not an old man in your head and you're an exceptionally good 76. You look great. You're very sexy. And what you do, you just, the world loves you. You're so cute. I'd say the problem that both Robert and I have is we are age inappropriate. Um, I dress far too young. (laughs) I take my clothes off far too young in my head. You know, I just don't think old and Robert doesn't either. But we are noticing things. And, you know, I had in 2010, I had hip replacement. Best thing I ever did. It's fabulous. I'm dancing on every stage around the world. So I am, you know, experiencing what old age throws at us, but I'm not living with that attitude. Hmm. Yeah, so you're not in denial about age, but you just refuse to do it the way that you know, society tends to want you to. I, yeah, it's the negativity that I think is very unhealthy. Negativity and fear just doesn't help anyone. And I think, like you had an email from a, a, a lady who's just starting a full-time career, I believe at 60, and it's the job she's always wanted – well, she's living her dreams. Mm. We still have dreams. We're, okay, we have menopause. We, we're dealing with um, libido that drops. Yeah, these are biological things, but we're still utterly biologically remarkable. And we still have dreams and you have a right to live your dreams. They might diminish in ambition, but you'll always get some get some form of that dream available to you to make your life very, very fulfilling. Toya, mm. can I ask you, sorry, um, in your Sunday lunch videos, the clothes that you get, you said you're kind of emptying your wardrobe. Did you have these clothes anyway? Did you? No, what? <laughs> stored in the bag. All that cling film. Well, um, exactly a year ago, I, I was a burlesque dancer for the first time. Um, so exactly a year ago, I opened in a show in London called Pro Cabaret, where I was with burlesque dancers and I dressed as a burlesque dancer. So I had those outfits. But you get through them very quickly if you're doing four of these a month. So I go onto Amazon and I just order fancy dress outfits and I doctor them. I cut them up. I re, I redesign them. I sew them together. So I'm, I'm now at the point where I'm making what I wear. Uh, but a lot of them come off Amazon. That's incredible. Can I just say, Robert sometimes looks like he's sitting there playing his guitar. He looks terrified. He looks like he's signed this contract and not read the small print. He's sort of sitting there going, 
Oh my God, into here. Oh my God. What's terrifying at him, and this is a little bit technical, is Robert doesn't play in the same tuning as every guitarist in the world plays in. So the standard tuning for rock is E tuning. Robert plays in C tuning, which means he's learning songs that are actually, the notes are on different strings. So it's a real challenge for him. And he's done it deliberately this way. So his brain is super active. Right, because he does look like he's concentrating really hard. Yeah, and he he has to, to a certain degree. He has to. And and he is a little scared about what I'm going to do. I was going to say, that concentration came along as, I'm terrified, what's going to happen next? Yeah, I I very rarely tell him. What I do before he sits down is I film a rehearsal with just me in the picture and I say, this is where you're going to be positioned and this is what it's going to look like. And then I just don't tell him anything else. I think he's hypnotised by your nipples. I think that's what it is. He's in a hypnotic trance. <laughs> well, he he does really love me behaving like this. Does he? Yeah, Which he is does. an amazing thing because for a lot of relationships, you know, for the woman to be so out there as you are, a lot of guys struggle with that. Has he always been cool with that? He's just been so cool. I was doing a play once, Therese Racan, um, a French play about a French murderess. And this was in the Playhouse in Nottingham. And uh, Act Two opened with me having sex on the kitchen table with a cohort. And um, I heard my husband sitting in the balcony and he turned to the woman next to him and said, that's my wife. (laughs) (laughs) I heard him say it. You know, I, I was reading some interviews that you've done, uh, well, you and Robert have done recently, actually, and he did, he was quoted, and maybe you can fill in the backstory here, Toya, um, that particularly recently, emails come to him, he said, and this is a direct quote, and I hope it's right, um, Robert saying, I've seen how difficult it is for a very short woman of a certain age to be seen or heard or acknowledged. Yeah. So Robert is a deliberate barrier between me and the world. And we decided on this because, um, well, you know what it's like. We get very strange people contacting us. We get, uh, I would very confidently say that my wages are a third lower than the men I work with um, on festival bills and on TV. So Robert is a barrier of strength when I say to him, Robert, you're going to have to say that you've read this email because I'm being exploited here. Also, uh, even where we live, I mean, I'm a singer, I'm an actress primarily, but I'm also a property developer and I have a lot of property. I even have to put Robert as the barrier when we are doing the deals because my lawyer's fees will be double his, um, everyone's fees will be double his. Uh, and also I quite like the fact that people don't know I'm the money person. So I definitely mm. cover that up. It means I can get a lot more done business-wise without men being aggressive towards me and suddenly, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, I've cut the deal and they never knew it was me. So that's very deliberate. But does that piss you off that you have to do that? No, I, I feel that it's actually attributed to my success mm-hmm. because it stopped an awful lot of exploitation and dishonesty because men do not do that to another man. 
So what what drives you, you know? I mean, you know, I was reading back over your career and I couldn't even begin to list all the things that you have done. And there never seems to have been a lull. Um, you're constantly creating, reinventing. And I mean, even, you know, the Sunday lunches, that was created within lockdown. I mean, a lot of people just sort of lay on the telly, scratch their arse and watch Netflix, but not you. What drives you? I think it goes down to the fact that when I was very, very young, I had absolutely no support from my family whatsoever. I was the brunt of every joke. Um, Every dream I told them about was laughed back at me in my face. I had absolutely no emotional support whatsoever. And the moment I left home, I thought, F this, I am going to change my life. I'm going to change my life beyond recognition. And I just have never, ever let go of that. Uh, And the fact that you build your own life. We, I truly believe we're responsible for our own lives on many, many levels. Uh, And that's down to being how you feel about your age and positivity. It's how you look after your body when you're young so that you have a healthier old age. It's we are in control of that machine. But I remember the first time I appeared on Top of the Pops, it was only then that my parents realized I had worked so hard to get to that point that I was taking my own career very seriously. And they were in shock. They were in shock at every single thing I did because they never treated me as if I had any hope at all in the world. And how did that feel? Um, it was, it was good. It, but it's ingrained in me. Uh, but how did it feel to know that, that you didn't have that support. I mean, I, I'm very fortunate oh. that I had the very opposite experience and and it was a huge comfort to me. I can't imagine what it would be like not to have had it. I often say to my husband, just imagine what I'd have been if I had support. Just imagine mm. if every child in this world is has nurture. It'd just be an incredible planet. Um, I had no nurture, no nurture at all. And I think the reason I feel the safest is when I'm on stage because I'm totally in control and I'm alone. And that is my upbringing. I had a a very negative mother um, who who would just go into meltdown over any piece of news. Um, She'd just go into meltdown. And I, I remember telling her when I had my first professional acting role, which is a play called Glitter that's going to be showing on BBC Four this week, I was 17, 18 when I made it. She said, don't be so stupid. You don't, go, you, you don't get jobs. You, you're never going to be an actress. You're never going to do this. Don't be so stupid. Stop lying. I mean, it just went on and on and on. And I was even at Pebble Mill making it, and she was waiting for me to be sacked. It, it was ridiculous. But what I will say is that financially, from the age of 18, I supported them till the day they died. And I think it was only in the last 10 years I bought them a cottage on the River Avon that they realized how hard I'd worked to put them in their retirement. And so was there a a period before they died then that you had that big conversation and that there was the Hollywood reconciliation? No, never, never. Um, It's, we were just so dysfunctional, so dysfunctional. We we would sit down for family meals. I have an older brother and sister, but they would just deteriorate so quickly. And I was even fighting with my mother 
a week before she passed away. And that was trying to get her into a hospice to accept painkiller because she was so advanced with cancer. She'd had no painkiller. I mean, just so dysfunctional. And I put that down to the fact that they both were very young during World War II. My mother witnessed something terrible when she was a teenager. I mean, absolutely the worst thing you could witness. She witnessed her father murder her mother. And then my father was away in um, Alexandria, um, in Egypt, uh, on a war boat for six years. They came back so dysfunctional that I remember when I was very, very young, probably between the age of three and seven, there was a kind of normality. But then after that, I mean, our worlds just fell apart. So what you... What are your feelings towards that? Do you feel sympathy for them and their experience? Do you feel resentment that you didn't get that nurture? How do you reconcile that now they're gone? It's very difficult because the one thing I really wish I persevered with was that I would have had lessons to play guitar and we couldn't afford it. And it was one thing or another. I either had singing lessons or I was going to play guitar and I stuck stuck with the singing lessons. So, you know, good and bad there, good and bad. But I just feel if I had nurture, rather than being looked upon as someone with learning disability, because I'm severely dyslexic, if I had nurture, I just think I'd have gone way beyond anything I've ever achieved in my life. And I would have trusted people more. And it wasn't till I met my husband that my husband could see the damage had been done. And he really is my best friend. And he really is someone that can kind of talk me out of a corner when I feel confused or um, angry about something. He can help sort me out. So the first time I ever experienced nurture in the traditional sense of the word was from my husband. Wow, that's quite a story. I know, and it's a very heavy story, and I I do think twice about telling it, but there are so many people out there who've experienced the same. Yeah. And you can't say to these people, your old age is going to be horrible because your lady that's just got the full-time job at 60 is living her dream, and we can all have that. Mm. Oh, yeah, you're right, because we have this, you know, just... uh, um, what, what's the right word? I, I mean, a completely, I'm searching for the, the perfect word to you, almost a Disney version of youth is wonderful. Youth is wonderful. Your younger ages are fantastic. And yet when you get older, then it all gets grim and it goes pear-shaped. Whereas if you look at your life as an experience, your later years um, and continue to be exciting and new and stimulating, you would never go back because your early years sound really, really horrific, to be honest. If, if the big boss in the sky above said, what age, do you, what age do you want to go back to? I would say I'm very happy where I am, very happy where I am. There's so much strength in our ages. There's so much power in our ages that I am perfectly happy where I am. Mm. Um, one of the conversations we've had over the weeks that we've been doing the podcast is what do you call the sort of 60s age? Um, and quite a few people have said it's the age of contentment. Which, what is it? What would you oh, say? I, that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think so. I, I didn't think so. 
I don't think I've ever experienced contentment. Um, for me, it's an age of completion. And what I mean by that is I, in, when you're 60, you have the time and the physical energy to complete things and to make way for the age of contentment. Uh, and I'm not really considering slowing down and cutting the stress out of my life uh, until I'm at least 70. Uh, science is very, very clever. Science can keep us going for a long, long time with a high standard of life. Uh, but I'm, I'm businesswoman. And somewhere in me, in my DNA, that business person is firing on all cylinders. Mm. Karen, what's this make you think then? Because you're a great advocate of taking time for yourself and de-stressing. Well, I'm just looking and listening um, to you, Toya, and it sounds like you're thriving with what's going on in your life at the moment. Your Sunday lunch is one thing, your um, business, your... um, Business development, you know, property, your property yeah. development, that's another big thing. So there's obviously a lot. I mean, do you have, how do you relax? Well, at the moment, ironically, you'd think I would have relaxed in lockdown, but we got busier and busier. Cause I, how I do you that. relax then? Well, there's no time. I work seven ah, days. So this is you and Kay together then? Yeah. <laughs> Neither of you relax. And what about holidays? Would you have a holiday? No, no time. I'm supposed to be on holiday this no week. Time. No time. Uh, this week, I've I've made an advert for Sun Life. I'm making an album with this world producer, and this was supposed to be my holiday week. It's just, it doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And are you happy was, being at that level of activity stress? It, it's everything that I'm doing this week needs to be done. It, it leads to other things. It's very, very essential, uh, and. I just what what I do try and do is take December off, which sounds odd because December is usually Not a single time. But I, I, we are culturally Christian, and we live in a very Christian town, and Christmas is huge here. And I live on a high street, and I just try and take December off so I can see my neighbours and see my friends and catch up with people and give them gifts and all of that. Otherwise, there'd be no time at all. Well, listen, have you got time for just five minutes of bingo, which I know is probably not a game that you will normally play. So we've just got a whole load of questions and we very randomly uh, choose a number. I'm going to say it's 47. 47. Okay. So have you planned your funeral? Yeah. Have you? When did you do that? Well, we did it this week. Um, How bizarre. We did our wills. Well, I mean, because we're adding... To the property empire all the time so we redid our wills and I, I said to my husband you know you have very specific things you want let me know I need to know now you can't you know just expect me to build that funeral and do the right thing for you so we, we did it this week and what's it going to be like well, it's an interesting one. He's a Dorset man and he fell in love with the town I grew up in. And we now live on the high street in this particular kind of market town. And he he wants um, to be buried in our garden. I said, no, you can't do that. So uh, we're, we're going to probably have a cremation and the ashes, half will be in our garden here and half will be on his parents' grave. And what about you? Have you thought about your own funeral? 
I am deciding if I'm brave enough to think about cremation. I've bought, uh, I've actually bought funeral plots for both of us next to my parents. And I'm starting to feel we can no longer do that. We, we can't do that anymore. It's, we've got to just think more ecologically about how we dispose of, of you know, mm-hmm. things that aren't used anymore. Um, so I'm trying to come around to cremation. I'm intrigued mm. that you actually bought plots next to your parents, given the relationship you had with your mum. Well, it's it, it's a very good point, Karen, because I do really, really love them. And, you know, I can feel them close to me. I, 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 I This morning, I, I, I burst into tears and Robert said, what's the matter? And I said, my father, I can feel my father. Um, so I don't feel detached from them. What I would really like is whatever the karma was that brought us all together, that that karma has been solved in my lifetime. Because if, if say, reincarnation exists, I never want to go through a childhood like that ever again. It, it was awful. You know, and I'm not even talking about physical abuse. It was psychological abuse. and But you can still love people who are very, very difficult to get on with. Did they know you were abused? They were abusing you, do you think, psychologically? No. Or was it just the way they were? No, it was their right. They were my parents. They had a right to do that. It was only in 2009 I had a big cancer scare. I was taken away, put in an induced coma, had parts of me removed, and we didn't tell mum and dad till I was brought out the coma. Um, and then they realised that how frail and vulnerable I could be. And after that, there was a little bit more respect. It's such a story. You've really taken my breath away with it. Right, one more bingo number. Okay, 27. What has life taught you, Toya? That love is the most powerful, political, emotional thing in the world. We cannot move forward with anything without love in our lives. Well, I think we will end it there because what a wonderful way to end. What a fascinating conversation. Thank you so, so much. Um, and it's been lovely to to speak to you again after 38 years. Well, it's so good to see you virtually, both of you. And lovely to oh, meet you. Thank you. Take care, Toya. Yeah, all thank the best you. for Sunday lunch. It's going to be wild. <laughs> it wild, will. indeed. It will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Say hi to that magnificent breast for me. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. I mean, anyone who hasn't seen that Sunday lunch, honestly, go on YouTube. And do you know what was great about it, Karen, is that the first thing that Toya said in terms of those was it's done in humour. Because when I first saw them, you're just not sure, are you? You think, you know, what was the thinking behind this? Because it is a remarkable three or four minutes. And the fact that there is humour there and then... That attitude that she has, it, it just lends a whole new dimension to it, doesn't it? And it makes them quite magnificent. Yes, and I think, and not just her breasts, but I think when I go back <laughs> and watch them again, having listened to what she has to say, having spoken to her, then I, yeah, it will be with a different sort of perspective on it. Yeah, the humour. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he does laugh at the end of one. I just, I thought, oh, this poor bloke, Robert, what on earth? What on earth is he going through? But actually, yeah. 
it's good. God, good for them. But isn't it funny that, you know, when you all, you know, you remember Toya Wilcox it, as a, a a young woman, you'd have thought that she went through so much shit at the time, you know? I know. Well, I mean, that is the world we live in, isn't it? I mean, we see people, we hear stories about people and, you know, we, we make judgments about that very superficial level that we were exposed yeah. to. And we we never have a clue about no. what lies underneath, do no, we? you don't. You think their lives are fantastic and it's all going really well for them. And no Which idea. is why I love this little podcast. Um, I'm, I'm constantly, you know, sometimes I do think to myself, oh, right, how long can we do this? Okay, you know, get how to be 60, etc. But once you get the chance to really sort of dig with people a bit, it's just wonderful what's there, isn't it? And it's just so unpredictable. Yeah, it is. And, and listen to Toy, I mean, her life sounds as busy, if not busier than yours. She does seem well, to busier. thrive on it. I did want to think, God, with all this empire that they're building with their property, what are they going to do with it all? <laughs> I think, actually, I know the answer to that. I didn't oh, get a chance to speak to it, but they are going to set up a trust, I think, um, to offer musical education to to young people. I'm pretty sure that's it. Ah. So that they're going to... They're going to give their money to charity. Oh, that's and good I think to it's know. musical education. Oh, yeah, right, I, know. Right. I was thinking that with you, mm. and stop me if it's too sensitive, and I know your early childhood was not without love. I'm not in any way suggesting it. But that whole nurture thing, clearly Toya's experience was very extreme. Mm. But did it make you think about your childhood? It fleetingly, well, as she was speaking, yeah, a wee bit. Mm. Yeah. No encouragement, no. I, I remember, even in a little thing like, you know, when you're in school and I wanted to go and do mechanics um, at college and uh, no, don't be ridiculous. And and even actually the, the teacher said that to me, you'll be a distraction. So no, you're not doing that. And so then I wanted to do acting and I spoke to my mum, no, no, how are you going to do that? You can't do that. Go to secretarial college, which I did. There was no, and I think I just thought, I'm the fourth one. The others are all successful. So I think they're just kind of, it's almost like the the, the others have been a success. You'll be fine just on your own. (laughs) It's it's Mm. a bizarre kind of way. Yeah. I know, but then what we don't think about is, you know, you say that people are parents. There's kind of an assumption that they know what they're doing and that they have a level of uh, authority and control. But actually, often parents are just as lost as the children, but in a different way. I mean, when Toya's talking about her parents and clearly they had experienced some really, really painful um, things in their early years, they, okay, they were parents, they were able to have sex and have a child. doesn't make them equipped to actually um, nurture no. that child. No, which is sad, isn't it? There are no, obviously there are no books, there are loads of books out there, but it comes from the gut, doesn't it? I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's quite grim, I think. And I wondered mm. if that influenced her decision not to have children. Who would know? Who would know? Who would yep. know? Yep. Um, right. Well, there you go. Um, our email address, everyone, let me remind you of, uh, is podcast at htb60.com. I'm finally getting quite fluent in that. Please do get in touch with us. We love to hear from you. Um, and uh, we've got some great guests lined up over the next few weeks. And we will be, of course, live at the Edinburgh Festival and Fringe on the 23rd and 24th of August. I don't know about you, Karen. I'm absolutely brilliant. It. It's so exciting. Open brackets. Life terrifying. Close brackets. <laughs> oh, and look, listen, I bought a little gift from you from a holiday, so I'll give it to you in person next week. Oh, 
good next week good don't good, get good. too excited <laughs> bye <laughs> So remember, tickets are still available for our first ever live version of the How To Be 60 podcast at the Edinburgh Festival and Fringe. We're there on August the 23rd and the 24th. We would absolutely love to see you there. Um, we've got a bit of a surprise episode for you next week, so make sure you don't miss it and keep those emails coming in. Podcast at htb60.com. 